Welcome to POP, the sermon podcast for Peace Lutheran Church in Gehenna, with Pastors Doug Warburton and Tony Katko. Our reading for today is from Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean region and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So it may not sound like it, but there it is. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's the Christmas story. If all we had was Mark's gospel, that would be it. So it's interesting to think of the four different gospels. We have these four different versions of the story of Jesus' life, and they tell it a little differently. Most of what we're used to for Christmas, it comes from Luke. Luke gives a lot of details. And then Matthew gives a little bit of details. John doesn't, but it's fun because there's poetry. It's like in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. That's it. But for Mark, here's how the good news starts. There's no shepherds, there's no angels, there's no manger. It starts with a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Now that, of course, is this quote from Isaiah. And then we get the actual person, right? We get the voice in the wilderness in Jesus' time. Here's John the Baptist getting ready for the Messiah with his movement. So in this telling of the gospel, in order to understand Jesus, we have to start in the wilderness. This season of Advent, we are focusing on arriving. And to be honest with you, it's not like a very creative title, because that's just what Advent means. Advent means the coming or the arriving of something. And so in the church, we get ready for the Advent, the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. But this year, we're looking at that arrival through the lens of places. What can we learn from these different places where that the news of Jesus' arrival takes place? And today, the place we're looking at is wilderness. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it seems kind of strange that John the Baptist, it says, he had all of these crowds of people flocking out to him, right? There were people around that area, people from cities like Jerusalem. Why are they all going to this weird guy out on the edge of the wilderness. Now, I'm sure he must have been captivating, right? There must have been some charisma about this strange guy eating weird things, but I think there's more to it than that. I think we have to keep in mind their original audience. And the audience of John, just like the audience of Jesus, they were all first century Jews. And that was a time when religion was a huge part of your life, and so they all really knew their scriptures. They knew these stories of the Old Testament. They were a part of their lives. And so when John is this voice in the wilderness, he represents something to them. Immediately, they're connected 
to all these wilderness stories that they would have known from their scriptures. So we're going to look at some of those stories today. But before we get into them, let's remember something about the wilderness. When we speak of wilderness today, we usually mean something very different than they did then. I mean, I think the closest I've been to the wilderness is like camping. There were scouts and campgrounds, like that's wilderness to me. Maybe some of you have experienced more, maybe not. But we get this very romantic idea of the wilderness. It's like, ah, to get out in the beauty of nature. That's wilderness. Getting this peaceful time away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. But a peaceful getaway in a national park is not really wilderness, right? We think of wilderness as a very safe place. It was not. The wilderness, especially if you are on your own, is a dangerous place. That's a place that could easily mean death. It's a place that you are constantly on guard. You're constantly struggling to keep going and get what you need to survive. That's what the wilderness is. So with that idea, let's look where it shows up in the Old Testament. We'll start with that. You okay? You okay, Ron? Not bleeding. <laughs> Not bleeding. That's good. No heart attacks. Wonderful. So we're going to start with what Mark quotes, which is from the prophet Isaiah. He starts with verse 3, but let's just go back a couple verses to where chapter 40 starts. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. So God talking to the prophet, speak comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Does anyone know what Isaiah is talking about? Why do they need comfort? What were they going through? The exile. It was the exile, and so it was this time where they had, their kingdom had been conquered, their temple had been destroyed, and then all these people had been taken away from their homes to live in this foreign place off in Babylon. They needed some comfort in this time. And there was a good reason why empires like the Babylonian Empire would practice exile. You see, Babylon, they were out conquering all these different nations, and most of them were pretty small. So at some point, you've amassed a big army. It's not that hard to conquer these small armies. The hard part is to maintain control because you can't keep expanding and fighting off your enemies if you have to constantly deal with all these uprisings with all these different places in your empire. And so the, the thought was that Babylonians knew how powerful a homeland is. They knew that when people are left in their homeland, they would see things like, there's that river where we heard these stories about God bringing us into the land. And there, that mountain that we see all the time, that's where God came and delivered the law and showed God's power to our ancestors. When they're around these sacred places, they could become rallying points for the leaders to start to gather people and to amass a resistance movement. And so what the empires would do, they actually didn't take away everyone. They took away the people they thought were important. And so the Babylonians would come in and they would take all the priests and the nobility, the wealthy, influential families. In other words, anyone they thought 
could be a potential leader in a rebellion, they would take them off away from those sacred places. And so the real danger of the exile was not that they would all die. The, the empires wouldn't kill everyone. That doesn't work. You need people to rule. They wouldn't all die. The real danger was that they would lose their history, that if they were gone long enough, they would lose their identity, the, their faith, their history, their culture, all of those things that made them who they are, they eventually would fade away. And so it's in this crisis that God comes in and says, speak some comfort to my people. Tell them that they have suffered enough, more than enough. They've paid their debt. And this is not how their story is going to end. And then there's this verse that Mark quotes. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now notice the punctuation in most translations like this one is different here than what they put it in the Gospels. In the Gospels, it says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Here it says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You see the difference? Because God is talking in Isaiah's time to people who all felt like they were in the wilderness already. That's where they are. And so God is telling them, don't wait until you get to return home. Right here where you are in the wilderness of exile, get ready. God is coming. And I love the part about the mountains and the, and the valleys and the hills because it's saying God isn't going down this long meandering journey where there's all these mountains to go over. No, the, the valleys will be lifted. The mountains will be flattened so that God can come on a highway, this direct path to where you are. So the exile wasn't a literal wilderness. It was a metaphor for how people saw their reality. It was a dark time. It was a time when they were struggling just to make it and to keep who they are intact. But the wilderness of exile, it became this really important defining moment for them. It was a moment that still matters for us today. You see, most scholars, they think that a lot of what we have in our Old Testament it came about during the exile. So there were already some things, but in this time when they were away from their land and they didn't have the same religious structures, they needed to make a good record of their history and their faith. And so with the help of God's spirit, right, there were all these new things written down and things edited and compiled into more like what we have in our Old Testament today. This great tool of the faith that maybe wouldn't have come about in the same way if it wasn't for the exile. There's something good that came of it. And of course, the hope that Isaiah speaks, that was a promise that was gonna be fulfilled too. They didn't stay there forever. God eventually brought them back to their home. God helped them rebuild after captivity. So it was this awful time where it could have been the end for them, and instead, God was just getting them ready for a new beginning. But here's the thing. Isaiah uses this metaphor of the wilderness because it's not the first time that this has happened. Isaiah is calling them back to the first defining moment for them as a people, which was after they were released from slavery in Egypt. And then it was all great. They got to go to home, right? 
Not quite. They had to spend 40 years in the wilderness of the desert. And at first, of course, they're complaining because there's not enough to survive out here. Like, God, we're not going to last very long in the wilderness on our own. But for that entire generation, God took care of them. It says that every day God gave them this bread from heaven and God gave them water from rocks. And then there's this really cool detail. It says that God led them as a cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night, which is a really, really cool way to look at something when you think about reality of life in the desert. Because when you are in the desert, in the heat of the day, what you long for is some shade. And so what is God in? God is in this cloud, constantly providing them with some shade, some relief from the heat in the day. And even though the days are really hot, in the desert, the nights can get really cold, especially when you're moving around so you don't have good permanent shelter. And so what does God offer them? God is a pillar of fire, giving them warmth and light on cold, dark, desert nights. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we hear constantly reminding the people of this time in the wilderness in Exodus. Constantly, people are saying, look, don't forget when things were really bad for your ancestors, and they should have died like a thousand times over, and yet God st stuck with them. God never stopped taking care of them. So just like with Isaiah, the wilderness should have been the end for them in Exodus, but instead, it was a new beginning. But the Exodus and the exile, they're both communal times of wilderness, times when the whole community was in it together. It's not too hard to think of communities experiencing wilderness today, is it? And there's the wilderness of war, wilderness of poverty, the wilderness of climate change, the, the wilderness of general despair and anxiety when we look around and see horrible things in our world. We all know what that communal wilderness looks like. But I wanna shift from that to look at the individual because that matters too. It matters if God actually cares about each and every one of us in our own difficult times. So I wanna lift up these two individuals in the Bible that spent some time in the wilderness. The first one is Elijah. Now Elijah had just had this really big high moment in his career, in his life. He had triumphed over the prophets of Baal and it was great. And then he ends up running for his life. And Queen Jezebel has made it her mission to hunt and kill him. And he comes to this point where he's given up. Where he just doesn't see that there is any way out of this. So Elijah leaves everyone who he's traveling with behind. And he goes out in the wilderness. And here's what happens. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. But God doesn't let him just die there. This angel comes and takes care of him. He needs to rest, and then the angel gives him some food to eat and some drink because the angel says, you're going on a journey. And then he journeys in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. 
which is an obvious bing moment, right? Okay, this is just like the Exodus. And then after that journey, he goes to meet God on this mountain, just like in the Exodus, how God on this mountain gives the law, meets Moses. Bing, another moment. And there's this really cool story there on the mountain with the whirlwind and the earthquake and the fire, and then God speaks in the stillness, which is really cool. But we shouldn't focus too much on like the pyrotechnics of the story and miss what God actually says to him. So here's the start of the conversation. Here's God speaking. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. Notice this, I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He actually thinks he is the only one he is the only one left who is still faithful to God. You know what God does after this? God says, you're gonna go to this place and that's where you're gonna find Elisha who is gonna be your successor. And he's ready to go. <laughs> you think you're the only one? No, I've got the next person already lined up. He's good. And then, and then God says this. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You thought you were the only faithful person left? I've got 7,000 other people who have never turned away from me. It may feel like you're all alone, but you're not. And so Elijah came into the wilderness thinking it was over and it was just time to die. And God met him there and said, no, this is only the beginning. There's one other wilderness story I want to lift up. Here's one that often gets forgotten. And I think it's important because it's the first time that we actually see wilderness mentioned in the Bible. It's this character named Hagar. Now, if you don't know who Hagar is, I, I don't blame you because a lot of people tend to skip over her when we talk about Sarah and Abraham because everyone knows their story. Sarah and Abraham were too old to have kids. God promised them kids and boom, they had Isaac. And then Isaac, all his descendants were more numerous than the stars in the sky. Isn't that great? Except that's not the whole story. Before Isaac came along, Sarah knew that she was way too old to conceive, but she had this Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she gave her slave to Abraham to conceive. Did Hagar get a choice? No, of course not. She's a slave. And you know what Hagar means? Her name means stranger or foreigner. Because that's what she was. She was this foreign slave with no control over her life. She had no hope for a future. And then when Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah decides that her slave, she doesn't like the way that she's looking at her master. And so Sarah goes to Abraham and asks for permission to punish her. And you know what good old father Abraham says? Do with her as you please. Don't care. Not my problem. And so Sarah starts to abuse her pregnant slave, and Hagar does the only thing she really can, and she runs away into the wilderness. And she has to know what that means. A pregnant, foreign, slave woman on her own in the wilderness, the only way that ends is with her death. She knows she's going out to die. But just like with Elijah, God doesn't let her so this angel, the Lord, comes to her and says, go back 
because I have a promise for you too. And just like Abraham and Sarah get this promise about their descendants, the angel says to Hagar, your descendants will be more numerous than you could ever count. And the angel tells Hagar, you will have a son named Ishmael, which means God listens. Because God doesn't just listen to the important people. God listens to even people like you. God always hears the cries of people in pain. And then the angel gives this blessing, which the NRSV translates it like this. And I just have to say, this isn't my translation. I'm just reading the Bible. And it says, he shall be a wild ass of a man, which means a donkey. And a lot of translations go this route, which is a really unfortunate way to translate it. Because actually in Hebrew, there are two different words for a donkey. And the one word for a donkey is a domesticated animal. It's the donkey that for the rest of its life has to do the bidding of its master. And then there's this word for a wild donkey. It's this animal that is strong and free. I mean, do you see the power in that message? To a slave like Hagar, your son and you are gonna be strong and you'll be free. And eventually they are. So Hagar comes in the wilderness to die and she leaves with this hope for a future she never could have dreamed of before, a freedom for her and her son. You see, over and over again in God's story, when people find themselves in the wilderness, it should mean death. And yet God brings them life and hope time and time again. So go back to John the Baptist. Do you get a sense of why these crowds of people would have been flocking to a voice in the wilderness? They know from their scriptures that the wilderness is where you go to find hope when you don't have any left. And when you think about it that way, that's how the story of Jesus starts and it's how the story of Jesus ends too. He ends up going to the cross a place that should mean death, and yet for us, it's become this incredible symbol of life and resurrection and hope. So when we find ourselves in the wilderness, whether it's our own individual wilderness or the wildernesses of this world, then I think we should remember the words of Isaiah. When you are in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. It's always in the darkest places that God comes and God brings light. Amen.